This morning, I want to encourage you to reach forward in your pew and pull out one of the pencils or pens that's in front of you in the pew. You're going to need that pencil for just a few minutes, so go ahead and pull it out. Um, You've got paper with you in your bulletin. I need you to write down some numbers this morning, okay? Um, We're going to write down numbers, and then we're going to talk about those numbers. Are you ready? I see a few of you still reaching for pens and paper and pencils and markers and crayons, maybe. Here are some numbers. I want you to write these down in order. 33. 375. 451. 1517. 1533. 1738. 1968. No, these are not not the quick pick numbers for this week. (laughs) These are actually dates. They're they're years in the life of the Christian church. And I want to do a little exercise just for a second. Choir, you can play along because I can hear you. You're behind me, but I can hear you. So you can play along too. We're going to talk about these dates just very quickly, move through them, because these are dates of significance in the life of of the church. What happened in 33? Jesus was well, Jesus was resurrected. You're exactly right. Jesus was resurrected from the dead after he died. Yes. <laughs> Jesus was resurrected in 33 AD. How about 375? That's right. The first ecumenical council at Nicaea where we get the Nicene Creed, which you can actually find on page 880 of your United Methodist hymnal. The first creed of the Christian church that was universally agreed upon was formed in 375 at Nicaea. 451. Ooh, 451? That's really early. King James comes around. <laughs> 451 is the Council of Chalcedon where the Eastern and Western churches split. The the Catholic Church splits in two at that point between the Eastern Orthodox and Roman Catholic churches at the Council of Chalcedon in 451. 1517. Protestant Reformation, Martin Luther posts his 95 Thesis on the Cathedral at Wittenberg. Very good, very, very good. How about 1533? That was 60 years later. <laughs> Not quite 60 years. <laughs> 1533 is the year that King Henry VIII decided that England um, should be its own religious, um, should be, have its own denomination. And so um, with the work of the bishops in England, um, England separates from the Catholic Church and becomes the Anglican Church in England or the Church of England. 1738... John Wesley's heart is strangely warm. That's right. After hearing uh, Martin Luther's introduction to the book of Romans, which if you've ever read that text, you know that that is a miracle in and of itself. 1738. 1968. What happened? The United Methodist Church was formed when the Methodist Episcopal Church and the Evangelical United Brethren Churches, two, two churches that were born out of the same family tree, merged together to become the United Methodist Church. All of these dates are more than just dates. They're turning points 
in our history as a church. All of these dates have helped form who we are. They're turning points in our history. These are moments when things change. The dictionary defines a turning point as a point at which a decisive change take place, takes place. So a turning point in history is more than just an important event that happened a long time ago. It's an idea, event, or action that directly and sometimes indirectly caused massive sweeping change. Turning points can be social. Turning points can be cultural, affecting a society's way of, of thinking or understanding itself. Turning points, they can be political, leading to new legislation or new governments taking charge. Turning points can be economic, affecting how goods are manufactured, produced, bought, and sold, or how much or how little a society has to spend on such items. A turning point can even cause all of these changes to happen at once and much, much more. The text you heard read this morning is a turning point. In Luke's second letter, the book of Acts, here in chapter 8, everything changes. Up until this point in Acts, Luke has been describing what's been happening in Jerusalem as the disciples wrestled with the implications of Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and ascension, and the final command that they receive, that they are to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. Here in Acts 8, the mission that the disciples received from the risen Christ begins to take a different shape. Things are starting to change as the disciples are scattered by the persecutions under Saul and under others. Yet in the midst of crisis, and this is what inspires me and really gets me going, in the midst of crisis, in the midst of turmoil, in the midst of chaos, the Spirit of God is still moving. The Spirit of God is still working. In the text, Philip is told by an angel to go to a road in the wilderness. And there he meets a eunuch who never is named, a minister of Candace, the queen of Ethiopia. The eunuch is reading from Isaiah as Philip joins him in his chariot and asks if he understands what he's reading. The eunuch says, how can I understand unless someone guides me? Then they read the scripture together. And in verse 35, we read these words, Philip opened his mouth. And beginning with this scripture, the scripture this man had been reading, he told him the good news of Jesus. Philip opened his mouth, opened his mouth, and and beginning with this scripture, he told the good news of Jesus Christ. If you have your Bibles open in front of you, underline that, highlight it. If you're looking at a pew pad, circle it because somebody later needs to read that text. That Philip opens his mouth and begins sharing about Jesus Christ. It's interesting, isn't it? Philip uh, seems to have begun sharing with this eunuch that the Spirit has led him to spontaneously. Without any sort of setup or script or pattern to follow. Philip didn't have, a time, didn't have time to prepare a well-crafted sermon in which he hooks the congregation with an interesting set of dates. Like I just did, hopefully. Philip didn't have any notes, script, or pattern. He just jumped right in and began sharing despite the fact that he was on a dusty road in the middle of nowhere. Philip just told what he knew. 
He said what he knew about Jesus Christ. He told the story, the good news of Jesus to this Ethiopian man. Don't you find it odd that we who possess the greatest story ever told, the story that our culture, our world, our society needs to hear, don't you find it odd that we who possess such a rich gift often find it hard to share that story with the people around us? We find it hard to relate the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ to the world around us, to the people who maybe live next door to us or sit in the office or cubicle beside us. We struggle, we struggle to share Christ with the world around us. But Philip in this text does something unique, remarkable really. He opens his mouth and he didn't start again with a catchy introductory illustration or a joke. He just simply started sharing what he knew about Jesus Christ. He shared what he knew about Jesus Christ. If you and I are going to be witnesses to Jesus Christ and being a witness is part of the core values of our church, it's in our strategic plan that we're going to be witnesses to Jesus Christ. If we're going to be witnesses in the way those first disciples were witnesses, it means that we have to share what we know. We have to share what we know. What do you know about Jesus? What do you know about him? What would you share with somebody if they ask you about who Jesus is? What if at lunch today, as you're sitting at RJ's or Fordham's farmhouse or wherever it is that you happen to go for lunch, what if the Spirit of God speaks to you and says, you need to say something to your waitress or your waiter or to that family that's sitting over in the corner that looks like a bomb has just gone off? What would you say if the Spirit prompted you to speak? Would you start with the Apostles' Creed? I certainly hope not. I certainly hope not. Would you talk about hypostases and ousia and how God can be three and one at the same time? Please don't do that. Please don't do that. Instead, would you just share what you knew? Would you share what you'd experienced? The key to being a witness is not some amazing depth of spirituality or some vast knowledge of Christian history or even a vast knowledge of the Bible. The key to being a witness is sharing what you know. It's telling others what God has done through Jesus Christ in your own life. The Ethiopian eunuch was looking for someone To share God. To have God shared with him. So the Ethiopian eunuch, he's riding down the road in his chariot and Philip jumps in. And he's reading these words from the song of Isaiah. The the servant song, the suffering servant song. It says there, like a sheep he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb silent before its shearer. So he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice Was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taking away from the earth. And you can just imagine that Philip, after hearing these words that the eunuch had been reading, that instead, instead of telling all sorts of catchy things about who Jesus might be, he he just simply says, "You know, I know who that text is about. 
I know the one who was innocent and was led to the slaughter, who was denied justice. That's Jesus. Let me tell you about him. Let me tell you what Jesus means to me. Can you imagine Philip saying those words to a eunuch? Being a witness is just that simple. It's just sharing what you know about Jesus, sharing the story of how Jesus brought you from death to life, how he rescued you from sin and addiction and abuse and hurt and pain and gave you a chance to experience life that truly is life. When we witness, we, like Philip, open our mouths and share what we know about Christ with others. There's no magic formula. It's simply... Your heart being open to share what you've experienced with others. Philip opens his mouth and he shares the good news of Jesus Christ. But Philip does more than that, doesn't he? He also invites this man into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. You see, at some point in the conversation, which we don't have, Philip told the Ethiopian eunuch about baptism and what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ and the difference that it had made in his life. And at some point in the congregate conversation, excuse me, something Philip said helped make the words the eunuch, that the eunuch was reading real. And so the eunuch wanted to drop everything at that moment in order to be baptized. He wanted to take a bold step in his faith By professing it. So he drops everything. He has the coachman stop the chariot so that he can receive the grace of God for his own life. You know, I believe that there are lots of people out there in this world and possibly some here this morning who need to know the story of what Jesus has done in your life. Who need to know the story of the difference that God has made in your heart. I believe that if we start sharing like Philip shared, that people are willing to do just what that eunuch did. They're willing to drop everything, to come into a life-giving relationship with Jesus Christ, that they will stop their busy schedules, they will drop their daily routines, they'll even let go of the stuff they're filling their life with in order to receive hope, in order to receive grace, in order to receive Love and peace in this world and in the world to come. You know, I don't think that the world today is all that different than the world was when that Ethiopian man was riding in that chariot with questions about whether or not God was alive, whether or not this faith was true, or even for him. The question is, will we share the story, our story, when the Spirit prompts us, when the Spirit nudges us? Will we open our mouths and share the good news of Jesus Christ so that others can receive the gift of salvation and the gift of community and the gift of life that truly is life? Because you see, this story isn't just about Philip meeting some guy in a chariot out in the desert. It's a story about God who is calling everyone into a relationship with him. This Ethiopian is not any sort of regular guy, and and we've got some small children in the room, so I just want to ask you to cover their ears for a second. Okay. 
This Ethiopian is a eunuch. That means that he either has a physical deformity or he's been castrated so that he's no threat to the king's harem. He's damaged goods. In fact, he's so damaged that the place where he's going to worship, the temple, he wouldn't even be accepted in that place. He'd allowed to be stand, he, he would be allowed to stand outside but would never be welcomed into the temple because he's damaged, because he's defective, because he's not worthy enough. This story is a story about witnessing, but it's also about a God who desires to welcome everyone into his kingdom, not just the rich, not just the powerful, not just those who have it all together and know what to wear to church on Sunday, but it's about a God who wants to welcome the broken and the poor and the defective and the weak and the lame and the outcast into his arms. God sends Philip to this man so that we can begin to see that the good news of Jesus Christ isn't just for us, isn't just for me. But it's for the whole world. And when I say the whole world, I mean every soul walking on this planet. The good news of Christ is for us all. The love and grace of God is available to the world. And God calls us, just like he called Philip, to carry the good news of Jesus Christ with us as we go. And when the moment presents itself, to be a witness and to share what God has done in our hearts, in our lives, in our community, and in our world. The gospel, the good news, is for us all. And so I want to challenge you this morning to find an opportunity in, in the coming week to share with somebody what God has done in your life. There's no complex formula to memorize. There's no catchy, kitschy thing that you have to figure out how to do. Just find an opportunity to share the love, the grace, the peace, and the hope that you've received with someone around you. Can you do that this week? I certainly hope so. Because that's what God has called us to do through Jesus Christ. Amen.